This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we are bringing you a great guest from... Keystone and Arnold Insurance, Mr. Marcus Harris. Morning, guys. What's up, up, man? Not a lot. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Living the dream. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful sunny day in Colorado, so I can't complain. Hey, I'll take a sunny day any day, except when it's like 137 degrees, like it has been down here. The last couple of weeks, I think that's like one of the biggest and Kyle probably backed me up on this. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about Florida is that it's just like incredibly hot all the time. It really isn't. I don't feel I feel like, you know, we're going to hit in the 80s, 90s on a regular basis. But this this summer and part of last summer, it's been ridiculous. Like we've had times where it's been well over 100 degrees for no reason whatsoever. So have we talked about the highest ever recorded temperature in Tampa? Did we talk about that? No. Do you know know that? I do know that. Do you have a guess? I'm going to say the highest recorded temperature ever in Tampa is 113 degrees. Oh, I'll go. I'll go 108. It's actually 99. It's never been over 100 degrees, but like the heat index from the humidity what? has caused it to be over that. But the actual temperature has never reached 100 degrees. I was yeah. baffled by that. Yeah, no, I am too. But I mean, you're you're right though. It is. It's the <clears throat> it's the feels like. And what's crazy is like you can go down to Key West, and it's mm-hmm. usually five to ten degrees colder, even though you're going further south because of the way the breeze blows across. Right. Yeah, it feels cooler. So out in Hawaii, it was like. It didn't really get too much over like 84, 85 degrees, but it still it's it still felt hot. Like the breeze w- w- was money, but it wasn't like a humid. It, it wasn't like it is here, you know, in, in, in Tampa. It wasn't like sticky and, and wet. It was just hot. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I've yeah, never been the, to Hawaii. I don't know. Marcus, you've been to Hawaii? I have. And I will agree with that. I mean, it's uh, Hawaii was lived up to the hype for me. My wife and I yeah. finally went last summer um, and it is what people say it is. It was it was uh, where'd you it makes what you, island you go to? Hold on, I do have a question. Can I ask you yeah. a personal question? Did you, When you came back, yeah. were you wearing a wrist bracelet? 
A gold uh, wrist bracelet because I noticed Kyle. Oh, Kyle now is wearing jewelry on his arm, and I've never noticed no, that about him before. Dude, no, I, yeah. I got this before that. You yeah. just haven't. You just haven't seen me since then. You had to have it's that good. to go there. Your wife bought it for you to match her bum bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. What what That's island great. you go to? Uh, we were on Oahu, and uh, mm. specifically like Koalina area was where we stayed, and then we were. We kind of were all over the place. Went up to North Shore for a little while. I was hoping to surf, but so that's where. Okay, I was wondering about that. So we went to Maui, right? I just got back like on on Saturday. Um, oh, awesome! But uh, so I was wondering where the surfing was because so Oahu's the big island, yeah. Yep. Okay, so I mean, we did like all the. Yeah, I think it is because Waikiki is yeah. where Honolulu is and all that sort of thing. So there you go. Yep. Um, that makes sense because like all the waves around Maui. They, I mean, it, it looked like the Gulf or, you know, maybe the Atlantic, like none of them were, we went around the whole Island too. Like it wasn't, there wasn't big waves. They were like a max right. of three, three feet, um, which right. I, I was kind of, I was like, I, I pictured there was going to be people surfing all over the place, but I guess it's just on the different islands. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think we were on a good surf Island. Um, it looks like a blast. I was really, really bummed and I still kind of made the best out of it, uh, doing a lot of things I shouldn't have probably still, but I had broken my wrist, uh, I think the week before. So I was pretty bummed. And I probably, if I wasn't married to a much smarter person than, uh, I am, I probably still would have tried to like get out there with a wrist, (laughs) which would have been a disaster. Uh, Just put a plastic bag on it and just make it happen. Yeah. So, you know, I think when I was a kid, like that was bucket list for me. I don't know. I don't, I really don't know why. Because surfing? Well, no, just going to Hawaii because you always saw the massive waves at like Waimea (laughs) Bay and some of those places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know why it was bucket list. I think it was probably because I didn't realize how incredibly dangerous it would have been if I actually got there. Because I'm the idiot that would have just, I I wouldn't have surfed. I would have used a boogie board. And would have been pulverized on a coral reef. So, you know, yeah, as soon as the and waves they pop crashed. out out of nowhere, man. It's like we were right there on the beach and, and you walk 30, 40 yards out and there was just a reef right there. I was swimming. I, I, I've got to show you this video. I, I was swimming with this giant, the two giant sea turtles. They were chilling yeah. all day. I just put my phone under the water and they're just right there hanging out, eating algae. But the reef that just pops up out of nowhere. So I could see how surfers would just get absolutely smashed on the and the, and the current, too. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's not like it is here or even in the Atlantic. Like it sucks you out like like quickly if you're not paying attention. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, the way no, it is in, the, in some of the places in the Caribbean. And it caught that caught me by surprise because we went down to um St. John a few years ago and Especially we hired because it's cap- more shallow down there. Yeah. We hired a captain with uh th- that had a boat to take us around to the to the British Virgin Islands and went to yeah. some cool spots down there, but specifically to snorkel and stuff. And mm. I got out to snorkel and I mean I'm not I'm not a great swimmer anymore, but I used to be a really strong swimmer. I mean, I swam on swim teams and stuff in the past. So that you did. Now I look more like a manatee when I get in the water and I just sort of float. But, um, you know, I got out and went to went to snorkel and I it, it blew me away how quickly the current carried me yeah. like way out past the boat, like to the point you had to do some work to get back to where you needed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, we could talk about vacation destinations <laughs> I'm all day long. Yeah. Before we get cranked up, Marcus, how about just a little backstory for everybody listening so they know who you are and kind of what your what your story is and what you're doing? Sure, sure. Well, 
Um, so I, I work with Arnold Insurance. We're we're a family um, owned agency. Uh, and my grandfather actually started our company 51 years ago, as of this summer, um, in a little tiny railroad town uh, in Missouri called Scott City. Uh, and you know, um, my my mom, my dad, my aunt are, are um, still in the business and very uh, heavily involved. My um, since we are on a power producer podcast. My my dad and my aunt are actually our top two producers within our agency, which is uh, pretty fun. I mean, that's not, uh, I, I think that's just happened. Uh, they're, they're great at their job. And so I consider myself very lucky to have family that's actually, you know, fantastic at what they do in, in our family company. My mom, um, it would never take the credit for it, but she is really in the backbone of our growth and, and built out the, the back inside of it, all the, the financial ins and outs and the uh, systems and processes that none of us ever like to, think about or talk about, uh, she no, has talked about and thought about, yeah, yeah. She's, she's great at it. So, um, you know, so we've got that side of it as well. And then, um, my background kind of is in marketing. I, I started a marketing company, um, out of college and wasn't a great student at all. I actually went to college to play football, uh, and I didn't realize that I was supposed to also go to class. So, you know, there was a, <laughs> Hey, there I was, resemble that remark. Seriously. Yeah. There was a news flash for me uh, pretty quickly of like, oh, okay, well, I got to do both things here. So college didn't last that long, which I was pretty boned about because I loved playing football. But uh, and I was having a great year uh, or I had a great freshman year. And then they were like, well, yeah, you didn't go to class. So that's a problem. Um, so I actually was just stubborn enough to I was like, well, I'll just jump into the workforce. And so I started a marketing company when I was uh, 22 and had no idea what I was doing, had no money, had no business savvy whatsoever. Um, just kind of overly confident that I could do something that I had seen a couple of times. Um, and so did that um, for a long time. Our family's company was one of my clients. Uh, after a while, my my dad took some selling on that. Uh, he was not at all on board with uh, me just getting the opportunity because he's like, you don't know what you're doing. I know for a fact that you don't know what you're doing. So I'm not hiring. Uh, and so that's my background. And then I got into the agency four years ago, officially. Um, and yeah, I came in uh, just as a producer. I came in to... Um, to, you know, just build a book. And, you know, we, my dad and my grandfather before him really modeled the leadership of our agency as you got to know what you're talking about if you're going to hope to, um, to lead others to do it well. And so, um, so that was really the emphasis for me was if I want to, I guess, carry the torch at some point, then I need to uh, probably have something to stand on. And so I've been building the book. Um, I, in the last year, moved to a management position over um, our group we call the associate producers, basically anybody under that validation line. Um, I am their uh, their guru and, and uh, best friend and worst enemy at times. Um, and so, you know, that's my day to day. Outside of that, man, I, I live out here in Denver, love to play in the mountains, play uh, a lot of golf and my game does not reflect it. Um, and I'm married to, uh, my, my college sweetheart, uh, and she is, she is awesome and, uh, keeps me, keeps me in line. So, yeah. You know what, man, if you'd have worried about studying and playing football, you might not have met her. So I'd say college ended up being a success, right? That's right. That's what I tell people. Yep. Absolutely. So you and I are probably the, actually the same guy, Marcus, to be honest with you, because it's very, very similar. Um, 
Talk a little bit about your marketing company, man. What's the story with that? Like, what were you doing? I'm interested because yeah. I want to see how that's helped you. And obviously the, the next migration would be how did that prepare you for what you're doing now? Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, it, and it certainly did. I mean, uh, when I started it, you know, I, I started out actually as a video production company. So I loved the concept of telling stories through video. Um, and again, had very little technical skill and what I did have was very self-taught, but being in the Midwest, I was in this, this section of the country at the time that I think, um, was just getting into uh, the modern marketing was starting to really, uh, you know, uh, accept it. And so a lot of these small businesses that have been around for maybe 30, 40 years are the company similar to my, my agency that I'm in now. Um, you know, they had a great product. They had a great brand. They just didn't know how to stay relevant with it, how to, how to keep, um, engaging with the newer customer and, and, uh, compete in those spaces that are being moved into by every other, you know, major brand on a local level. And so I started doing video and then, you know, people were like, great, man, this video is awesome. We love it. We feel like it captures who we are. What do we do with it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I don't know. That's not my job. You guys are supposed to figure it out. But then I started realizing I was leaving money on the table by saying that. Yeah. So I was like, well, um, you know, I, I know about social media probably more than you do. So uh, why don't we use social media? So then I started putting together some, you know, retainers where I would start producing content for people on a regular basis. And I just had a natural, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that like pompous. I just um, was able to catch on to graphic design and just design in general. I was able to put stuff together that looked good. I mean, I, I, um, or at least good enough. I don't know if it was actually good, but it was people were willing to pay for it. And so I was doing social graphics and all that stuff. And then again, kind of the domino effect, people were like, Hey, great. This is awesome. You've made, helped us tell our story. You've helped us connect with an audience. Uh, now where do we, you know, cash in on it? Where, where are we driving all this traffic? Uh, because people's websites were outdated. I mean, there were, at that time, um, I think, uh, when, not a lot when, of and when was this, how long ago was this? So this would have been um, nearly ten years ago. Okay. So yeah. So um, so at that time, I think you know people were that again. If you were a business, I think a lot of startups at that time understood it because that's how they were deciding to get their brand out there. But the people that had well, not their to mention brand, the fact it was cost effective for them to get their brand out too, right? Right. Like, and I, I think that was a lot of education just, that people didn't have. Yeah. I'm the same way, man. I, I mean, I say this all the time. I was literally talking to this with. A, a new scratch agency owner this morning when we were, t- when we were just talking about how to get content out and in front of people. And I, I just told him, I said, you know, I'm consistent. Like I'm always just nonstop, boom, boom, boom. And part of that's because I've always got a, a bank of stuff that we're recording and having ready ahead of time. So it's always, always ready to go out. And we use scheduling software and things to make sure that it's, it's automated to a certain degree. But the the moral of the story is if you have a message and you take the time to educate people selflessly and it's not about you, it's not about getting a sale. It's just literally here's something you can do right now that will either A, help you with your total cost of risk if you're a business owner, or here's a way that you can close deals, open doors. Here's how you have the conversation, whatever else. If you do it just only because you want to give back and you educate people your audience will find you and you will write business as a result of that. And what I mean by that is I get probably two or three messages every, it's not weekly, but monthly from CFOs or controllers of companies from all over the country that say, David, we follow your content. 
We like the way you do business. We don't get treated this way. We would love to know if you're able to represent us in our state, or if you aren't, does an agent in your network who operates the way you do, do you have somebody here that could come represent us? Right. Right. And it's like, this is content. It's not designed for CFOs or controllers. It's literally a hundred percent sales based tactics for insurance agents, but it's finding the right people. Imagine what that would do if it was focused content on what people really are thirsting for and searching for you blow up. And I think that's why a lot of people do it. It's not, it's not hard. It's really quite honestly, easy. You don't have to be great at it. You just have to be, you have to show up every single day. And even when we started this podcast, I got really good advice from my friends, um, Bradley flowers and Scott Howe. And they said, David, Whatever you do, do 50 episodes. Don't stop until you do 50. If you get to 50, you're going to be good. And Bradley tells the story. The first month insurance guys had their podcast, they got eight downloads. Eight. That's it. Right? And now they have a massive podcast in our space. We... When we blew through 50 episodes relatively quickly, and I mean, that was sage advice, but really it's the same thing as saying, show up every day, be consistent. The cadence that we have in our marketing and the messaging that we get out is the, is, is equally, if not more important than the message itself. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that was, we, we preached a lot of big things um, in my, my company to our clients. It was quality, consistency, and uniformity. I mean, I think when we looked at people's brands, if you could abide by those three things and everything you did uh, or the approach that you had to everything, then it was usually a recipe for success. And I think you're right. Consistency is usually the thing that's the hardest. Uh, people get busy. People get tired of, uh, you know, running the race. And I think uh, I love the idea of just setting a number like, hey, we're going to get there. And I think the, the the selfish thing that people don't realize, whether we're talking about social media marketing, whether we're talking about a podcast or we're talking about writing a book, whatever. I think marketing, the the magic sauce that like I love about it is when you get engaged in producing content and, and like you said, giving back to the audience of, of information and whatever that connecting with them on, on um, what you're putting out, it excites you about what you do. Like, I think you get this, this selfish take out of it. That is um, it's going to produce better work in you. I, I, there's accountability in that. I think there's uh there, there's new ideas that come to life because you're you're forcing yourself to get out of your daily routine and and create. And I think that's the beauty of you know creating in general. That's what I'm. That's why I'm drawn to it for sure. So how's that yeah. transitioned over to the insurance world? Yeah, no, and I mean, I you know I I'll tell you guys. Looking back, I was very um, I was I had sworn off being an insurance. I mean, uh, you know, especially at that age, I was like, insurance sounds awful. Like, I mean, who wants to be an insurance? And then on top of that, I was like, you know, I don't want to join the family business. I don't want to work for family for the rest of my life. You know, I had, I just, none of the boxes were checked for me originally. Had you ever been involved like in the office before that, like, like in gotten some sort of taste of it and you're like, nah, or, or is it just like something that it was in your head just because... Both. Yeah, yeah, both. I think I think I had created a mythological version of it a little bit. And then also right out of college before I started the marketing company, I worked as like a summer intern mm-hmm. at our oldest office in Scott City. 
And uh, I was, I mean, I think I answered phones and, you know, filed papers. I did nothing. Um, they didn't give me any responsibility on purpose, but, uh, and that was a smart choice at that time for sure. But yeah, no, I think that taste in my mouth wasn't a good one, but I don't think I was also looking to, you know, I wasn't looking for it to be either. And so I swore it off. And then I remember when my dad kind of approached me and really his, you know, his reasoning was, Hey, I I want somebody to pass the torch to, and I want to work with, you know, my dad and I are very close, which is something I consider to be just one of my biggest blessings is that dad and I, we work together really well, but we do everything together really well. I mean, it's a guy I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to doing anything with in life. And so I, I don't I know that's not always the case, especially with family that works together or father and son relationships. And so that's awesome. But he came to me and was like, Hey, here's the proposal. And where he really got me was he knew my wife, my wife grew up here in Denver. He knew she wanted to be back home. And he was like, Hey, listen, uh, why don't we open a Denver office? Because Denver's a great market to be in. And mm-hmm. so after that, if my once my wife got wind of that, it was kind of uh, it was probably a done deal. But I realized to your point of how that how the marketing side kind of tied in. It's all problem solving for people. That's all it is. Like it's all creating deep relationships and then helping them navigate the problem solving process, whether that was a website or whether that's a, a policy. Ninety percent of my day isn't that different. Uh, and I know that sounds very bizarre, but like. Sure, the the wheel I'm turning behind the scenes is a very different thing at this point. But the thing that I get up excited to do today really doesn't have anything to do with insurance or or have anything to do with right. marketing before. It's about the people I connect with and the relationships yeah. I build and that kind of stuff. The yeah. insurance itself is boring. A hundred percent. I don't know anybody. I mean, maybe you guys you do this there's like, a lot, but there's <laughs> like maybe one or two people that like, like actually, man, yeah, that I've insurance. heard speak that are like, I love forms. I love insurance contracts. Like, and like, I, I, take, I really like Doug Benz. Doug Benz made one of the greatest Benz. comments ever when I was talking to him about somebody. And he said, now listen, he goes, I'm going to warn you about this guy. He's, uh, he's, he's really into the, he's really into the policy forms and things. In fact, I believe he takes ISO forms with them to the beach for a little light reading. <laughs> was that on the pod? I feel like uh, I've heard that before. <laughs> It may have been, I, just but heard I, the story. I, I think I told you the story at a bare minimum, but mm-hmm. oh, I mean, it's coverage important. Yes. Does cover yeah. is, is it boring? Yes. Like, you know, we have to know it. We have to be good at it, but we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. And I really don't think our clients want us talking about it. No, it's not going to make a difference. I mean, it's not going to make them like want to deal with you more or understand what you're talking about. It's going to be like, oh, okay, great. This guy has an understanding. That's enough. Yeah. Same scratch agency I was talking to earlier. I told him, I, he, he said, I just, I want to make sure I don't have an ENO. And I said, well, you don't need to worry about coverage for that. You need to look at your backroom operations for that. I said, your ENO is rarely, I think truthfully, and look, plenty of people are going to think that I'm wrong about this, but I think that we, we focus so much on ENO being a coverage issue as opposed to a process issue that our focus is wrong. Because if you think about it, man, Realistically, it's pretty tough to get ENO on coverage, right? Because your underwriter is going to cover their rear end and they're going to explain it to you. You know, you have to ask the right questions to make sure you understand the exposures and that you put the applications and things together. But most applications at this point are coming with supplementals that your client's answering for you. Mm -hmm. And you need to look at your forms that are on the list of, of forms and everything at the beginning of the quote to make sure that there's nothing there. 
But I think more people get bit because they didn't have a rejection form signed or, you know, they didn't offer or they they offered and, and it's not documented and all of the things that the agency management system does and everything else. And I've been Good pretty point. vocal about the fact that I really prefer to operate out of HubSpot in our agency, but we're mm-hmm. we're down some help right now. So I've had to be in Hawksoft more than I normally would. And I can tell you, I, I have a much greater appreciation for all of the automatic documentation that happens when you go into an agency management system. Mm-hmm. I typically, I, I used to look at it like probably every producer on the face of the earth would look at it, bane of my existence. You know, it's a nightmare to go mm-hmm. in. It's difficult to navigate. And I'm not saying for all my friends at Hawksoft, I'm not talking about your product. I'm saying agency management systems in general, when compared to the interface of a CRM, like a Salesforce or a HubSpot, it's just a completely different experience. Okay. Yeah. So it's not fair for me to compare the two of those. But the fact that I have a system that every time I do anything at all in there is logging to mm-hmm. prove that I've done that, that we can put our email in as a, is another place to safeguard because we've already got it in the CRM. And it's doing that with relative ease. I have completely changed my perception on that. Like I was, I was of the point of the mindset that I could probably go ahead and just have a CRM only and never need an agency management system. And then I realized how much auto documentation and things are happening. Not going to do that. We don't have, we don't really have double entry anyhow. So it's not a big deal. And I'd rather have a really good agency management system that my team can use. That's, that's, functional and a really good CRM system that they can use. I'm not trying to find a marginal product that marries both because everything that's out there right now can't meet our needs as an agency. And I've got a lot of good friends in InsurTech and I've Mm -hmm. told them the same thing. I middle market commercial is a different animal when it comes to this stuff. And so I don't know that we'll ever have a solution. I mean, Applied and Vertifor are doing everything they can to try and create that through acquisition and everything else. I just don't know that we'll ever get there. Yeah, it, we. It's really funny you you bring this up because um, me and our CSO yesterday we we went into a long conversation yesterday afternoon because we have I feel like had the same conversation or a version of it for the last two years on how to perfect the exclusion form process for, for our clients and, um, and to protect ourselves, essentially. I mean, that's really why we want to, but also we want to use it as a rounding out the account sales tool a lot of times too. And, and we, and um, you know, what we keep coming back to is it's never, no matter what system we put in place. And I agree with you that anytime it hasn't worked, it's about the system. It's not about uh, the coverage that was put in place, but um, any any time that's the case, I think it has to start with who um, the the producer. If it's if this is your account, you need to care more about it uh, enough to finish the job. And I think that's where we we struggle because I mean I say that as a producer, and then out of the other side of my brain, um, you know that's not a manager. I'm like yeah, but you know, I, I know this guy, I've got a good relationship with him. I don't Mm. have time for that. You know, whatever, all those other things that are in your head as well. Um, but I think that's what we're trying to drive home with our producers is, Hey, you gotta, you gotta finish the job. You gotta, you gotta protect us, protect the agency, protect yourself. And then you've also got to, um, you know, take the opportunity to, to truly educate your client, make sure they know what they have. Um, you're protecting their livelihood. Uh, and, 
you know, so that's a, it's a hard thing though. We, like I said, we've been talking about it for two years and we're still talking about it. We're still trying to figure it out. It's, you know, rounding that out. And the, you know, conversation, the exclusion forum conversation is a tough one. Go ahead, Kyle. Uh, well, I was just interested in, you know, so we, we talked about kind of what led you into where you are now, but you know, kind of what was, Obviously, I think your perception was one thing and then it, it's, um, you know, it, it changes over time like it does with mm-hmm. anything. But what was something that you learned along the way, like maybe your biggest takeaway from going from owning your own company and then transitioning into the family business? Wow. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think working with family and again, I know this probably wouldn't be true for everybody, but I'm I'm blessed to have the family that I'm talking about be really great. Um, it's very rewarding. Like when the people you're winning with are your blood, it's really fun. Um, so I think that's awesome. Like when when I get to um, when we're celebrating a great month or a great year, and I'm high fiving my mom and dad, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know some people wouldn't view it that way, but I love that. Um, and and then you know, on top of it, I think along the same lines of winning, I underestimated how much of a winning addict I was. I really love. And, and again, I'm not just talking about making sales. Obviously, that's a big part of it. Uh, but man, I just love feeling like we're moving the ball down the field. And insurance is an industry that gives you an opportunity to do that daily, at least, you know. And so I think um, that's what I love about this more than maybe what I was doing before or some of the other industries I hear about. And I, I wake up in the morning and I, you know, we, we use this phrase a lot in our agency, put your mouthpiece in. You know, like that's, I love that feeling. I love getting up in the morning and, hey, let's get to it. Uh, and so I think I underestimated maybe how much opportunity there was going to be to have to scratch that itch in this industry. Um, and then the people, I think, is the other thing. I thought all of you guys that are in insurance are awful. You know, <laughs> I thought, who wants to spend time with you all? Uh, and I know I'm throwing my own family in that bus, I guess, as well. But uh, that's been the, that's been probably the most pleasant spread. I love, I mean, we talk about Keystone, we talk about some of these events we've done. I mean, David, the, the Vegas, I, I, I've created some fantastic friendships and met some brilliant people, um, that I'm incredibly thankful to insurance, you know, for, for those introductions and those opportunities. It's, it's awesome. Talk a little bit about your involvement with Keystone, man. Cause you and I rubbed shoulders briefly. Um, right when I was there in Vegas and I actually, yeah. I've made, made a lot of friends just out of that one emerging yeah. leaders thing. I mean, Alan Stein jr. Was there and he and I go back Stuff. and forth all the time now, plus all of the, just all of the really cool agents that are there. And I think, you know, for me, I like going to those things. It, it's kind of a weird thing, man. Cause I'll, I'll talk to anybody. It's kind of why we do what we do. Right. Right. And, and, and right. I don't mind getting in up in front of a big room and, and sharing what I've learned and what I know, because it's what I know. It's not like I'm trying to study for a you know crash, crash cram for a test or whatever. I mean, this is the stuff I do every day, but I think that there's a general perception that I, and I've, I've picked this up. It's made, it, it kind of makes me feel weird that I'm unapproachable because I'm the guy that was just up there speaking. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm held in a different regard and that's not who I am, man. That's something that I make sure that I do my very best that that's a myth that I dispel as as quickly as possible, really before I ever show up. So like when, when one of the 
people from the big eye in a different state or whatever will ask me if I'm willing to come present. I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to come present. I can't wait. Love to meet new people. You know, we have a mobile podcasting rig. Now I usually bring that and record on site so I can help them market for the next conference, but as well as get people on who have cool stuff to talk about while we're there. It creates some buzz in the event. I'll take my book and hand it out to the attendees that they can get a copy um, of my book and, and talk about that, but I'm always present at all of the events. And I guess I just am not, I'm just one of the guys, man. I, I guess there are people who just show up, talk for an hour and leave. I mean, that's what Alan did. Yeah, That's why Alan yeah. has a lot more money than I do, I guess, but maybe <laughs> I have more another friends. event by dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, he like literally last week I was looking at something he posted on social. He was like three different cities in way different parts of the country in two yeah. days. That sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah. I got to imagine that some of that's attributed to his, his basketball background of those guys always being on the go anyway. So I think he's probably got a, a comfort level there. That's, that's abnormal, but no, I, and David, to compliment you, I mean, I think um, anybody that I know, the, the Keystone folks that uh, that mention you, Stephen, Melanie, Christian, Katie, all these folks that know you through um, through the Keystone Emerging Leaders uh, Conference, that, uh, you know, I've talked to them about you and and they don't talk to you about you as a as a speaker, an author, a podcast. They they talk to you about you like you're their friend. Uh, you Good. know, like hey, I I you know that they know you on a personal level. So uh, if that is your aim, I think you've hit it. That I mean, mission accomplished. To, My work yeah, here is finished. <laughs> yeah, create real relationships. I think you're doing it. But yeah, Keystone. I mean, and I promise, I literally did not plan this, but uh, you know, Keystone. <laughs> Uh, if nothing else has given me a nice coffee mug, but, um, they, uh, Keystone's been great for us. I mean, um, you know, I know we were actually a part of a conglomerate for a, a weird stint, uh, a, a few years back, um, in Missouri and, uh, and that's how we kind of got introduced to the idea of Keystone was through that group. And, um, and we didn't really know, like, uh, pridefully a little bit, I think because we've really come up and built this uh, this thing in rural Missouri, you know, it's our roots. We have no business kind of being the size that we are or or, or being what we doing, what we've done. I mean, people in a town of 50,000 people don't do that. Right. And so that's where we started. Um, and so I think a little there was a little bit of uh, maybe skepticism at first. Of like, eh, we're doing just fine. What do we need? these guys for that don't know us, you know, from Pennsylvania that what are they going to do for us? But I think we were quickly corrected on that of like, man, there is a ton they can do for us. I mean, um, from a resource standpoint, things like emerging leaders, um, the national conference coming up here in September, I I look for, I was texting a couple of the folks that'll be there um, from other agencies across the, I mean, those are folks over your way. And, um, I've learned so much. I mean, the, the workshopping that you get to do with other people, I think I, I didn't, we didn't know how valuable that is where you get to sit and talk about ideas. And again, some of those are really bad ideas. Some of those people <laughs> you hear and you're like, you're doing what? But then it reminds you of like, okay, well, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And then some of those people are pointing out stuff you're doing and you're like, yeah, we, I, I don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And so I think, um, you know, that side of it has been valuable, the carrier relationships. I mean, just feeling like you've got a, a strong backbone behind you in Keystone. Um, if, you know, carriers are big animals, right? And so like, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, we're just, a, you know, we're just a little tiny 
uh, guy in Missouri uh, compared to these names that we represent and, and work with on a daily basis. And I think Keystone gives us a little bit more leverage in the marketplace in that regard, um, which is good. And then, and then, you know, lastly, I think, um, I think it has helped our people internally. It's constantly presenting opportunities for us to, you know, educate and add value to them and help keep them healthy. I mean, our biggest thing, and you all know this, you've heard this a lot for sure in the last, you know, couple of years is, you know, people are your most valuable asset, right? And we all know that, but what do you do? How do you, how do you make it, you know, show them that they're valued? Well, we've always had the, the ideology that healthy people do healthy work and healthy work produces healthy clients, right? And so, how do you keep your people healthy? And part of that is stuff that Keystone helps us do is pouring into those people with education, with opportunities, with lightening the load on workload. I mean, even that's a, that's something Keystone can do for us in, in different ways. And so, yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely grateful to, to be in the Keystone circle. What would you say the biggest advantage that you've received by being in Keystone? You know, honestly, I think perspective is a is an easy way to put it. I think like we because we were in this little tiny part of the country uh, in our own little world, how in the independent space do you get perspective on what you should be doing or if what you're doing is working or or if you're on the right track or is are you actually growing at the rate you think you are? Do you have the right people in the right seats? And so I think Keystone probably gave us, you know, a look into the bigger picture. And the only way, I don't know any other way that we could have. I mean, I think Keystone, that was probably the biggest takeaway for us is we have context to how we're doing and why we think we're doing that well or or need work in that area. It's because Keystone's given us that. Absolutely. So you, your college career is similar to mine, probably did not take nearly as long to wrap up as what mine did. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I followed the Tommy boy plan. I usually mention that when I speak, um, yes. but Lots of people go to school for eight years. Yeah, they're called <laughs> doctors. <laughs> Shut up, Richard. Shut up, Richard. Yeah. What's yeah. the what's the biggest what you know, what what's the what, what do you think the biggest challenge was when you moved into the independent agency channel? That, I mean, I think that's a great question to ask people because we all experience different things. And I think that's one of the things that's valuable for people listening is the perspective of guys like you who yeah. came from something completely different and, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, that, yeah, I think it's a great question. I think the biggest challenge, everything I said earlier about, you know, it being similar is true. But then on the other side, to your point, you got to know your stuff, right? Uh, and so, and because the higher you get up in the food chain, the the bigger clients you start sitting down with, the more they can smell the BS if it's there. And so um, you do got to know your stuff. I, you know, we start a lot of, we're very aggressive in our growth. We start a lot of guys that aren't from the industry um, that are young, all of the above. And um, the biggest learning curve they have is sitting down with guys that know more about insurance than them. Their client could, you know, tell them what they need better than they can tell them what they need. Um, and so I think that was a big thing for me too, of like, okay, I'm not going to be able to just wing this all the time. I think that was, that was a thing I had to like realize I need to, I need to prep. I need to do my homework before I know I need to do it, my homework a little bit. Um, and then, you know, not being scared. I think that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, sales in general, like if you've got, if you can be intimidated by a sale, then 
it's going to be tough, you know? And, and so one of the biggest things going back to the mouthpiece, uh, you know, saying for us is, man, uh, the, the first thing we want to get you numb to is being told no, is being smacked around a little bit. And so I think that, that was, that was the same for me. And I consider myself somebody that's not, you know, not scared of, you know, talking to people or anything like that, but man, you go into a room with a guy that pays six figures and premium and, and uh, he can see right through you. You can feel it. You know, you can feel like, oh boy, what am I doing here? I've swam too deep into the water. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, getting over that was a big thing, I think for sure. And then, you know, um, yeah, everybody I compete against, I mean, I, I won't, I guess, name ages because I don't think in 22, you're supposed to do that anymore. But um, I'm younger than most of the people I compete against, especially again, if you're going after bigger stuff. And so, had to get over that. Like I had to get over, you know, like, Hey, just cause you know, the guy has a kid your age, uh, doesn't mean anything, you know, that's and, a very valid thing though. I mean, I dealt mm-hmm. with the exact same thing. It's in the intro to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think it's, um, I view it as an advantage, you know, and again, I don't, and this isn't to group age groups into the same, you know, stereotype at all, but listen, the reality is our industries and old gray haired industry a lot of times. And again, there's some old gray haired guys that'll kick your tail. So it's not to say that they're all not working, but a lot of them are on the golf course. And so I had to realize that too. A lot of them, I'm like, Oh, I just need to show up and work really hard today. And I got this because that guy's not clocking in today, you know, or that guy's not answering his phone. He sent it to his assistant. So when in a relationship, I, I got it, you know? So I think that was, that was part of it, I think was, you know, realizing that maybe that age gap isn't a bad thing. And I try and tell all of our young guys that, Hey, just have hustle everybody. You know, I, I, I think you might've just answered the question I was getting ready to ask, but I was going <laughs> to, I was going to say, what's your, what's your best piece of advice for somebody? I think you just nailed it right there. It's just show up. <laughs> yeah. And, and we've all heard this, you know, whether it's in this industry or not, like, but we, we preach it still very hard. If you want to live like nobody else for the next, you know, 50 live like nobody will for the next five and five years, isn't that long. Like I, I, it sounds long. Maybe if today's your first day at the office, but but it's not that long. And so we really try and tell those guys that I'm like, listen, if you can establish habits and we preach activity to producers over everything, like, Hey, if you can make this many asks, if you can get this many submissions, if you can get, then eventually the ball's going to go out of the park. Like eventually you're going to hit what you're, you're aiming at. And, and so that's, guy, man, that, that's such a valid, valid analogy, right? Even if somebody's throwing a hundred miles an hour, if you keep getting in the cage, and the machine's throwing 100 miles an hour, you're yeah. eventually going to figure out your timing. You're gonna, Then you're going to make some contact. Then you're going to start hitting BBs. Yeah, or at least a dinker up the middle that still gets me to first, you know? <laughs> so yeah. either way. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that's a, you know, that's a big, um, that was a big challenge for me, and I think it's a challenge for all, a lot of our guys. But we, you know, I think, too, we try and tell guys, you know, my dad, who is our, is our top producer and our CEO, which is uh, a unicorn in itself, but he still lives by that. Like he started his career that way 25 years ago and still runs at that pace. And he would tell you that's why he makes a lot of money and produces a lot of money is because he just works more hours. Hey, I just have more conversations. He says that and I love it. It gets me fired up. He'll get on the, he'll get on a call with our producers, our, especially our young guys. And he's like, you guys have no shot against me. Like if I'm, if, if you're competing against me, there's no chance. Cause I'm just going to make more calls than you today. Like I'm just going to, have more meetings. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to go to sleep later. Like, and at the end of the day, we went down to the sales strategies with Keystone in San Antonio. And there was this panel 
of a lot of, you know, nice little niche approaches and things. And, and dad, <laughs> I loved it. It was like the million dollar, you know, panel thing or whatever. And, and he said, yeah, I don't really have a secret sauce. My secret sauce is I show up and work hard <laughs> and I keep writing business. You know, that's you how that works. I mean, but here's the thing, man. And I've said this probably a hundred times on the podcast. It's no different than when I got into the industry out of being in, in grocery for as long in retail. I was working a hundred hours a week. You know, I knew how to work hard right. and I came in and I worked 50 hours a week. I felt like I was on vacation and I was working twice as hard as my competition. They'd yeah. be out playing golf. I'm answering my phone or dialing for dollars. They're at happy hour. I'm at the office waiting for their client to call me with the question they can't answer. So, right. you know, I mean, I, it really is. And people say all the time, you know, my buddy Cass, Jason Cass says on his podcast, you, you know, what's more important, luck or skill? I think we make our own luck, man, by working hard. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I worked with a guy one time who made the comment, luck's only necessary in the absence of skill, right? Right. But I think you make your own luck by just being there. People say being in the right place at the right time, but just being present, period. Right. You make more money. Yeah. No. And and um, KAP had a, had a um, you know, their top salesman uh, as of this point in the year shared like a case study. Uh, I think it was last week, actually. And he gave some really great advice in that call to all the producers over there. There's maybe 80 folks on there. And he said, um, hey, just be visible, be ready, because eventually the opportunity shows up if you're consistently there. And, you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, it is it, you do need to get aggressive and go ask for business for sure, um, or else it won't just show up. But I think people a lot of times can undervalue like how valuable is being involved in this network or this network or this net, like this event or this referral group, like being the guy that shows up there. I I've seen that so true out here in Denver. I moved out here with no network. I moved out here with nobody. That was intimidating. I mean, I was like, I, how am I going to get into this place? I don't know anybody, especially coming mm -hmm. from a small town where I know everybody. Like I, there was, I, you know, I played football in our hometown and you know, that still was, you know, getting me some, you know, free meals 10 years later. So, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, uh, and so I think out here I was intimidated by that, but gosh, all I had to do was just be the most consistent guy, show up at the breakfast every time, show up at the, the meeting every and time. And I think Don't people do it for a period and then it maybe not, you know, doesn't produce any fruit like right away and people run out of patience and they end up Quitting right, quitting, quitting right before it, it it pays off, and I I would imagine that happens a lot more than people realize. Yeah, well, and I think yeah. Go ahead, dude. No, go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna say here. I think to simplify the whole the whole question of before about the like, uh, you know, what advice and 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 what I what advice did I need? What about, like what was the learning curve? I think you realize that you weed out a ton of your competition by stuff that's very much in your control. And when you get to a certain level, yes, you're going to get beat by guys that can hit the ball better than you. Like that just know, like they just got a skill set that's just different. Right. And so, but you want to be at that level. You want to get to that level where you're getting beat by guys that are three hole hitters. I'm pulling out all the baseball analogies at this point, but like, <laughs> um, love it. Yeah. I know. By the I way, know man, <laughs> there ain't no, there's, there's, there's no, Oh, three. Yeah. Go ahead. You're good. No, no, no. You said, no, you, said you said three hole hitter. You were talking about batting, and I immediately went to first base because that's where I played. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, ain't nothing, ain't it, there ain't no hole in the, at the three spot <laughs> over right. there. 
I can tell locked down, locked down corn. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So I think, um, you know, I think that's the thing you have to remind yourself to is like, Hey, I can this, cause insurance is a massive industry, right? I mean, there's tons, there's guy on every corner. So like, how do you get most of those guys you get rid of by just being consistent. And then, and then the guys that are left, you're glad to be competing against those guys. That means you're in the right place. True. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, I really think like one of the, so listen, if you're listening to this podcast right now, what I'm going to say will change your game. I can promise you it will, but you have to do it. One of the reasons why I like engaging with people a month after renewal is because I've got wide open space to play with them. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry. I mean, aside from all of the other things like the lost data being fresh, if the renewal was bad, the client's upset or whatever else. I'm just talking about if you're doing cold call marketing drops and you're working from an ex-date list, call on the account that just renewed. Call on them the next month and call on them the next month. If you call on them three months in a row, you will already have broken down the barrier because they have seen you more <laughs> since their policies renewed than their incumbent agent. Absolutely. And continue to follow up with them. Nobody's going to say, oh, well, you showed up three times to market to me. I've been sitting here waiting to write you a check. How much is it for? That's not going to happen. But that's what's going to start weakening the guard of the gatekeeper. They're going to start having more personal level conversations with you because they're seeing that you're somebody who's not going to go away. And I'm not saying you need to do it in an annoying car warranty, you know, type manner. I'm just saying show up and be consistent in showing up because Alan even talks about this. Alan Stein, when he talks about the stuff with Kobe Bryant, what made Kobe so good was the fact he embraced the basics every Mm -hmm. single day. He was at practice early. And I remember it, man. You know, when we, when I, I, when I played basketball in high school, we had to shoot a hundred free throws before we were allowed to leave. Hated it almost as much as I hated suicides. (laughs) <laughs> but we had to shoot the free throws. Yeah. And it in the grand scheme of things, what did that really do? Well, it gave me muscle memory so that when I was in a game and had to shoot free throws, I was more likely to make it. But it also taught me the discipline that I have to put in the reps every single time. And I don't have to understand it. I just need to do it because I know that's what I was told to do. Muscle Guess memory, what? man. I had a pretty high free throw percentage. Yeah. Probably because I shot a hundred times. Every day before I left practice, had really good cardio, probably because we had to do suicides right before we did our free throws, right? Had a pretty decent vertical. I know Kyle doesn't believe that, but had a pretty decent vertical (laughs) because we did jump box reps every single day. I believe the vertical part. I don't believe, I don't, I I don't think you got a stroke though. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, I can prove the vertical with pictures. So can I. I've got a, I, it's so true. So I, I still try and pretend to be an athlete on a regular basis. And I play in a, a league, a basketball league here. We just, we just finished up may or may not have won uh, the whole thing. There you, you go. Know, like you yeah, said, may, but may or may not have, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so <laughs> exactly. exactly. Dude, I, I played have. in a men's league four years ago, almost died. I know so, you did. Oh, so I out of shape. <laughs> I <Well>, remember. <laughs> I, I was watching these high school kids before um, finish up a workout before we came in to play that afternoon and, or that evening or whatever it was. And, um, and they're doing the ladder drill. You guys ever do that where you're like, and uh, not to like, you know, draw too deep of a cut here, but like, I, 
I, I was watching him and I was thinking, well, no wonder, like at this age, my footwork is atrocious. You know, I'm not as quick. I can't get to the middle of the lane the way I used to. I can't, you know, like my, my defense is, you know, I owe lay defense. You know, if the guy makes one hard move, I'm like, eh, and he beat me. Um, yeah. And so. Help know, side will get that. Right. Exactly. That's why we're, <laughs> let's be honest. That's why we're playing zone. Uh, and so, yeah. I was going to say that's the zone defense's greatest, yeah. greatest excuse is our oh, help side's got that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on, man. You're supposed that. to rotate down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was on you. No, no, no. It was on you. Um, but I think looking at that guy, I'm like, well, that no wonder, like when we did all that kind of non, you know, we, we couldn't figure out why we were always having to do stuff like that. The weight training, all the, all the, the ins and outs of outside of the game. Uh, and then we compare it to now, all you do is the game. Well, then no mm. wonder the game is worse, you know? And so, right. you know, I think it's a point. And I think, you know, that, as sales in general, I think it's, we remind our guys, it's a muscle you have to work. Like if you want to get, you know, as good as you can at in, in a sales conversation, you got to try it. You got to like go out and, and do it because the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. You guys know that feeling. If you close, mm-hmm. you know, five sales this week, the sixth one is like riding a bike. You're like, Oh dude, I'm, I can do this with my eyes close at this point because you I'm know, just, all I'm yeah, do it. I, I think too, like I was explaining this, my, my middle son got his learning permit recently. And it, it's the same thing, man. I remember the first time I drove my parents' car with my dad breathing down my neck and the learner's permit. <laughs> I also remember the first time I drove my parents' car when nobody was in the car with me and I was equally as nervous that I was going to do something. But it's amazing to think that there are things like that that we do every single day that we take for granted now, but right. we were petrified the first time we did it. The, the production game's no different than that same exact feeling. You know, right. same thing for me. First time I ever got the ball to pitch in college, right? It's talk about ball. shaking like yeah. a leaf. Yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk about your butt puckering. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm now playing against a division one team in a packed stadium with the game relatively on the line. And now they're calling me as a freshman in to come in and clean up, clean this thing up. It's like, what, (laughs) you know, but then two years later, wouldn't have thought anything of it. Right. And I think guys like us actually enjoy that part of it. Right. I I like the adrenaline rush that it gives me to know. And I think it's no different because you have to keep pushing that bar higher and higher and higher because because you accustomed you become accustomed to the level that you're at. So yeah. the ten thousand dollar revenue account's not enough anymore. Oh right. yeah, ten thousand in revenue, revenue schmevenue. I can go produce a bunch of that. I need something more. Give me twenty five. Give me fifty. Give me a hundred. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do I, you stop? I think my favorite. Uh, place that I find that is a broker of record. And I think like that, that going and asking for the the business on the relationship is, is I have to remind myself how much I love that. Like how, how that's that rush for me, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if I, if I quote it, I, I, it doesn't give me, you know, as much of a rush to get the opportunity. I feel confident in my ability to do that. I work hard enough to build, you know, networks that I have that, business is going to show up. And if I win it on numbers, I win it on numbers and great, you know, but, um, but I love, I did it this week and I was reminded of it because I had, it kind of been a little bit like I hadn't, gratified. I hadn't, yeah. And I'm like, Oh wait, that's the thing that kind of gets mm-hmm. you those butterflies a little bit that because they're, uh, they're making a decision specifically based on you, not based on any of the other factors like carrier or right. dividend and or, you're asking, or whatever. And the truth of it is you're asking them to fire another person 
just for that reason. That's it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and you're just saying, Hey, listen, and and that's how I always say, how much do you love the broker you're with? Like, are you married to him? No. Mm-hmm. Then why am I not driving the bus here for you? And I'm like, I love that question. I mean, I, it, it gets me giddy right now. Like you, you say that to somebody and you just wait and wait. And, and a lot of times I think you remind yourself like a lot of times you're like, you know, that's a good question. Let's do it. You know, like that's the best, you know, that's the best feeling. And so I, um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Dave. I mean, that we, we all like that. I think we, we all get into this job for the rush a little bit. You got to love to win and winning's mm-hmm. not. Well, you have to like a, to compete, right? You have to like right. to compete before you can win. True. And that's, and you can't be afraid of it. I mean, right. there's a lot of people out there that sell a lot of insurance answering the phone for progressive and Geico. Right. They, they would, they would drown. Absolutely. If they came into our arena, right? Because they're order Absolutely. takers. And it doesn't mean that, that that's not a necessary skill set. Doesn't mean they're bad people, not successful, or whatever else. They just lack the skill set they need to drive business in the environment we play in. And that's right. that's a big thing. But I do think love of competition is another, you know, again, it's we can talk about all the reasons we love what we do, but it's obvious, right? Right. So listen, before we wrap up, anything else you wanted to get out to everybody? before we stop recording the podcast, you know, no, I, I, not, not anything that I think, uh, people have to know. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I guess something that I think would be worth mentioning, uh, like, uh, that's maybe unique. And I guess I only say that because I think I've been told that I, I, I don't know that I think it's unique, but cause it's all I know. Um, but man, I think getting aggressive with young people in our space is important. And I think, um, you know, again, not to make it all about age and the difference, but I think insurance is an industry uh, that needs some fresh, hungry blood in it. And, and so, you know, again, just maybe just shine some light on the success we've had in that space. I mean, we have a lot of folks within our agency that are producing books that guys spend a career building and they're, they're 35, you know, like guys that have, that are, are swinging at big, I mean, we had one that, um, you know, he produced, uh, he had a, gosh, what was it? A $80,000 month last month. I mean, and he's 33 or something in that ballpark, uh, in, in the boot hill, Missouri, he's not even in, he's not even Cape. He's in the place that people, you know, call Cape a big city. Uh, and so <laughs> I think just, and I say that to say like, what does that take? And I think it's, man, if I can encourage anybody that has a, an agency out there that is well-established, man, there's people that are looking to build a career underneath you. There's people that are wanting you to, to lead them in it. And we're super invested in that. We invest our money, our resources, uh, the things we develop technology-wise, the new software we're using. It's not for the guy that has five years left in his career. That's not where that's not, we would just let him do what he's been doing. It's for the guy that is just starting. I mean, we just hired two, three, three guys that are under 25. I mean, and that's scary. I think most people would say that's foolish, right? Like, why are you doing that? Because uh, those guys know nothing. They're going to get run out of the room. But we're playing the long game. You know, like we believe that if that guy hustles really hard and learns really well, uh, by the time that guy's 35, he's doing what most guys uh, have spent a whole career trying to do uh, because he's gotten to sit under, you know, great mentors and and be in an agency that that, you know, puts him in a position to win. So I don't know what my point is in saying that outside of just that, I think um, getting aggressive with with young, hungry talent in our space is needed. I think if like if your agency's looking for, you know, a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air, then 
you know, maybe go grab a college guy and see if you can sell insurance, see what happens, you know? So that's my, I think the biggest thing, self-belief, man, your guy that's in small town, Missouri, USA, you mm-hmm. know, he's out just writing business, like nobody's business for no other reason than he believed he could. Like that's right. the reason we start. That's what keeps us in the game. So Absolutely. my number one piece of advice is if you believe in yourself and you believe you can, you will period. Right. Yep. Find a way. The people who don't believe in themselves always quit or find an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all lace up just like me. That's what that's. I had a buddy that said that all the time. And, and when they'd go play a school that was about to, you know, give them the business, he'd tell himself that every game in the locker room. I'll those tell guys you what, in those man, locker room. When I pitched, I was nasty because if it was, if it was one of those programs where they thought they were better than us, I'm going sweet chin music. First pitch right out of the box to send the message. <laughs> I mean, no scary. questions asked. Then the next one, I'm going to hit him with a freaking bender and watch him fall out of the batter's box. Yeah. I'm going to watch it break right right from their left ear hole right over the plate every time. And they're scared to death because I buzzed the tower first. But look, man, if you look at the best players ever in Major League Bait, look at Nolan Ryan. Do you think he was ever intimidated by anybody? And look at the moron Robin Ventura that charged the mound on him and just got absolutely pulverized in front of millions of people and is the gift that keeps on giving today. Cause it's all over the internet. Still. I yep. love those memes when it's like the X year anniversary of the time Nolan or Robin Ventura Ventura thought it would be a good idea to charge Nolan Ryan. Try Nolan Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I think, man, that's the, there, there's not a guy in this business that's really successful that I've met that doesn't, live in their own like they create the challenge themselves they are they don't believe that there's somebody bigger and better out there I mean, that's the way we view it like hey if you're gallagher coming up against the sun and can bring it on like man you still you still got to make your coffee in the morning same way i do and go win this account so let's go and so i think uh you know that's that's the way we approach it is is why not us you know why not us to go win that account why not us to grow an agency that is bigger than anything else we could have dreamed of, you know? So you just titled the podcast. Why not us with Marcus Harris? That's a great way to end it, man. Thanks so much. I want to be respectful of your time. We're going to go ahead and wrap up, but really, really appreciate uh, you spending a little bit of time wrapping with us this morning. Great episode. Absolutely Mm. enjoyed it thoroughly. So wish you nothing but the best Marcus. Can't wait to turn you into cartoon, man. It's (laughs) Thank you you guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Catch you soon, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 